Hello, CNUSD EdChat listeners. Dolores and Randall Lindsay had such valuable information to share with us on cultural proficiency in our episode five that we decided to create a bonus episode. In this bonus, you'll hear how Ventura Unified School District Superintendent Trudy Ariaga put into practice the important work developed by the Lindsays and their team. You'll also hear Ivy ask about the parallels between microaggressions and cultural proficiency. We hope you enjoy the chat as much as we do. And Randy, building off of that, I really love um, one of your latest books, Opening Doors and Implementation template for cultural proficiency. And this was co-written with um, a retired dynamic superintendent of Ventura Unified School District, Dr. Truri, Trudy Ariaga. Um, and she served in that position for almost 15 years. Can you tell us a bit about um, her experience in working with her school district and the community and how you came to begin working with her? Happily. <laughs> I absolutely love Trudy Ariaga uh, and her story and her commitment to education. Trudy grew up in Ventura. Uh, she's a product of Ventura schools and chose to, as an 18-year-old, go to school in Mexico, uh, where she met uh, the love of her life. And they've been married now for a long, long time. And then uh, once they both graduated, they went to graduate school in Montreal and then decided they wanted to come to California to start their careers. He's in business and she's in education. She started as a teacher aide in the district and then climbed through the, uh, through the chairs, teacher, uh, principal, and district administrator, and then superintendent. Her father was also uh, from that district, and he was a venerable coach. And when he retired, they named the football field for him. When she retired, they named the district office for her. <laughs> um, one of our mutual friends, Diana Stevens, had been doing some work for Trudy uh, with her counselors. Diana's background is counseling. We were both together at Cal Lutheran, and that's how I met Trudy. And so she had uh, Diana come in and do a lot of work with, with the counselors, and she got real curious about the model. So she took it on herself to, um, to learn cultural proficiency. She took a couple of books, read, and then had conversations, attended Diana's seminars, and then decided that she personally wanted to lead uh, her cabinet in learning about cultural proficiency. So at two summer retreats, two years in a row, they do a four or five day retreat, and she individually and personally learned the uh, the activities and led and created some new ones, and led the faculty. Excuse me, led her administrative colleagues through learning about cultural proficiency and applying it to the school. After the first summer, Diana called me and she said, "Randy, you need to see what uh, Trudy is doing, and she's doing it herself, which is marvelous. You know, that, that brings warmth to my heart to see people actually internalize the work themselves." So then Diana was there observing the second session, the second summer, and she said, Brandy, you're not going to believe what Trudy has done. And I told Trudy, I think there's a publication here. So um, I contacted Trudy because I like to mentor folks, you know, uh, <laughs> make sure we get the work uh, it's as deep and wide as possible. So I talked to Trudy, and we agreed to meet at Taft High School in Los Angeles. It was equidistant for the two of us, and the principal there was a good friend of ours, uh, Delia Estrada, at the time. And um, so... Got into her conference room, and Trudy laid out her notebook that she kept for two years and all the activities she had done with her administrators uh, and the school board, by the way. And she just walked through activity after activity. And I said, uh, she asked me, she said, at the end, she said, well, do I have a publication here? And I said, yes, you do. And she said, I have an article. And I said, no. And her face was almost crestfallen. I said, Trudy, you have a freaking book. I said, you have developed my first experience of seeing someone. How do you learn the material? How do you take the material so that other people can learn it? 
and you're taking it at the policy level. And I said, you know, what you did in the first summer is you help people understand their own assumptions. That's foundational to the work. Terry Cross calls that the inside-out approach. But you took it to a more sophisticated level because all policies and practices are built on somebody's assumption, usually the previous generation of leaders. And I said, what you did, you developed a metaphor that's just powerful. And the metaphor that she developed, she said, every time they, they would talk about a policy or practice in the district, then Trudy said, she suggested, I don't think she knew the power at the time, she said, does this policy or practice open doors for students or does it close doors for students? And if you just stop and think about it, you know, mm-hmm. when, whether you're an assistant principal or an assistant superintendent or anywhere in between, if you can lead conversations so that you can probe people's thinking, that's a very effective, efficient way to get to assumptions. It becomes a really important part of the work. To the point now, when you go through the district, you'll find these little, um, almost like popsicle sticks, and they have the phrase on there, does this open doors or close doors for students? And uh, so we use that as the metaphor when, she, uh, when we constructed her book. And it was, it was a delight for me, having been in the work for a long time, almost all the books we have written to that point were creating out of our experience. But this is the first time we had the opportunity of creating a book based on someone's work. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, that this person chose to personally lead the, the work so that she was demonstrating for her colleagues um, the importance of the work. Nothing wrong with bringing in outside consultants, but when the leader values it enough that she learns it and she personally leads it, it just takes it to a whole other level. And I think that's um, the beauty of that, that book, and I've shared it with, with other people also, um, it actually being almost like a workbook, a step-by-step of yes. sorts. And because it's a step-by-step of sorts, what would you think, or how do you see an organization best using the tools in there um, as far as maybe being able to benefit in the same way that um, the Trudy's sure. district benefited? To me, that's a really good question. My recommendation, uh, and I've had the opportunity to make the recommendation to two or three school districts, is they take a core group of people and spend a period of time, it might be a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and take the book chapter by chapter and do book study and master understanding what the content is. Then once they get that done, then they are equipped to lead whatever uh, change they want to make in the district, whether it's going to start in the district office. I recommend vertical teams, that once you have a core group that understands the work, and you're going to say roll it out to XY Middle School, that then you develop a, a second book study that involves a vertical team, including people in the district office and people from that school that also learn the tools, and they in turn do the work with their colleagues. I believe very strongly in having as little outside consultant work as possible. I think outside consultants should be a catalyst for people learning the work. But when people inside learn the work, it becomes deeper and there's more commitment to it. And um, we're finding that in lots of schools and school districts that we work with. But the key always is people developing mastery of the work by committing their own time between sessions to reading, to understanding. And the two skills that are, that are basic to this work, and we mentioned them earlier in our preparation, one is that the, the readers, the, the leaders, the educators have to um, engage in reflective practice. That's fundamental. That's, that's foundational to understanding your assumptions. And secondly, in, engage in dialogue with their colleagues. And dialogue is not about making decisions. Dialogue is about understanding other people's perspectives. And when people can take those two honored practices that we do long before cultural efficiency and apply them in this way that serves the needs of diverse student populations, um, make tremendous progress. 
So there's a lot of talk about microaggressions. And what our audience might be wondering about, and including myself, is what are the parallels between microaggressions and cultural proficiency? And is it just a new name or are they working together or is it an extension one of the other? What's the relationship between microaggressions and cultural proficiency? There's actually a very direct link. There, there are basically two kinds of behaviors that we can have in human-human interaction. Things that we do intentionally to harm other people and things we do unintentionally. And so the intentional are what we call the macroaggressions. Um, if you take a look at, at uh, any kinds of rules and laws that discriminate, those would be macroaggressions. The microaggressions are the things that we do that we're not even aware of. And so they might be the, the slip of the tongue, is something we very often talk about. Uh, in the most recent election, people talk about being politically correct. Um, and people making comments that are insensitive can also be microaggression. Because as a person who makes an insensitive comment, I might not think it's insensitive, but it's received that way. And so microaggressions, actually that work started up at San Jose State several years ago. Uh, Dr. Sue has been the first person to actually do the, the analysis. He's also San Jose and Stanford, as I recall. Daryl Sue, some, some powerful, powerful work. But microaggression is a very important part of that. And one of the things that we do within cultural efficiency, as is, is we've talked about so far, is looking at their assumptions. Examining assumptions really lead us into understanding microaggressions that we may be perpetrating and perpetuating unknowingly. So it becomes an important part of it. There's another term uh, that has been introduced <clears throat> It's been around for a long time, but uh, seems to have surfaced again recently is unintentional bias. And um, I think just the point that I would make is people say, oh, I didn't mean that. Uh, even if you don't mean it, and, and we all have biases. I think we, you know, there, the terms need to be defined if you're working with groups. You know, what do we mean by racism? Uh, what do we mean by bias? What do we mean by prejudice? And uh, so we all have our own biases around uh, movies, around literature, around conversations, around fashion, uh, around music. And we seem to think, well, that's okay. But then when it creeps into our language and our conversations with each other and our selections in curriculum and our lesson planning, uh, then we have to think, is this intentional? Or uh, is this, am I teaching the way I was taught? Or do we need to have a conversation about this as a faculty? Or is this part of the standards? Or should I be looking at my literature choices a little more carefully? And then when we think, somebody says, well, uh, was that intentional or unintentional? Um, we have to ask the question, or the answer is, the outcome is still the same. So the same thing that Randy was talking about, the um, the the micro or macro aggressions, uh, we can sit here and say, oh, it's this or it's that. Then we have to ask the person who was impacted by the decision or the, the, the comment, the outcome is still the same. So then when we hear people say, well, if I offended you, I'm sorry. Well, there's no if I offended you. The person either was or was not. So... Uh, we, sometimes we want to take the language back and say, you know, so uh, we have to look at how do we apologize, when do we apologize, and then that's when we're aware of our own assumptions. I offended someone, and I didn't even really know it. So that's how I guess we define the unintentional bias, that my bias 
actually offended someone and I didn't even know it. So being aware of our own language and then being aware of our own assumptions, I assumed that everything I was doing was okay. Mm -hmm. And then as a teacher or as a leader, an administrator on the campus, that decisions that I make actually can impact and do impact every student and the families that we serve. So I better be thinking about my assumptions. I better be thinking about uh, what I believe and a value and I value. And, and that's why when we talk about the framework, there are these four tools. And one of them, are one tool, the guiding principles, that's where those nine questions come from in the article that we talked about on focus on assets. You really have to look at those guiding principles. If, if a person has trouble with those guiding principles, those core values, you're probably going to have trouble with uh, cultural proficiency because it has you confront your assumptions and the values that you hold. So that's why your, your question about uh, microaggressions uh, and, and uh, bias is, is a, it's a pretty important question. So thanks for that.